You and Me Always by Jill Mansell, read by Susie Riddell. There he was, sitting in the sun outside the Star Inn. Lily slowed and parked the van outside Goldstone House, next to the pub. Dan saw her and waved, and her stomach tightened at the sight of him, as it always had done. There was just something about the languid angles of his body, those long legs in black jeans stretched out in front of him, the tilt of his head as he chatted on his phone and laughed at something that had been said. The tightening didn't mean anything, though. Lily knew that. It had evolved as a kind of Pavlovian reaction, a habit that had become ingrained over the years simply because Dan Rafferty was so physically attractive. The good thing was, the fact that he knew he was attractive and traded on it shamelessly with all concerned meant the idea of an actual relationship with him was the very last thing anyone in their right mind would want. And since she was in her right mind, thankfully she was safe. Lily, Lily. Dan's eyes crinkled and he pushed his dark glasses to the top of his head as she jumped down from the van. My most favourite girl in the world. See, this was what he was like. And you're the most annoying boy. I'm not a boy, I'm a man. He was 27, two years older than she was. Technically, he might be a man, but when you'd known each other since childhood, it just seemed wrong somehow. You used to put frog spawn in the hood of my anorak, said Lily. You'll always be a boy to me. Where's your car, anyway? Over in Chipping Norton. Dan had texted her earlier, asking if she could give him a lift to go and pick it up. Why? As if she couldn't guess. Best not to ask. The usual, basically. Good wine and bad women. Well, one bad woman taking shameless advantage. He gestured to the still full cup of coffee on the table in front of him. Are you in a tearing hurry, or can I get you a drink? Lily checked her watch. It was twenty past six. She'd spent the last three hours delivering a marble-topped table and a set of Victorian chimney pots to a customer in Chippenham. But work was now over for the day, and the rest of her evening was free. Go on, then. I'll have a Coke. She joined him at the table, unsticking the back of her T-shirt from her shoulder blades and flapping the front of it to cool down her ribcage, while Dan disappeared inside to order the drink. When he returned, she took the glass and said, Cheers. Thanks. Why couldn't Patsy give you a lift back to your car? She's out, gone on a date, with a mystery man off the internet. Lily perked up. Ooh, what's he like? No idea. Dan shrugged. That's the whole point of him being a mystery. She didn't want me to meet him. Well, after last time with the chap from Chepstow, who could blame her? Welsh William, he shrugged. That wasn't my fault. He was the one who challenged me to an arm wrestling match. He was just showing off, trying to prove how strong he was. You could have let him win, said Lily. Me? Dan looked horrified. Why? He was an idiot. Patsy wouldn't want someone like him anyway. Which was true enough. Ah, well, maybe this new one might be an improvement. Lily swirled the ice cubes in her glass and took a gulp of coke, then paused as her attention was drawn to a stocky man on a bicycle heading along the main street directly towards them. He was wearing an orange cycling helmet that clashed with his red face and turquoise lycra leggings. As his legs pumped the pedals, he appeared to be talking to himself. By this time, Dan had turned and was watching him too. It wasn't until the man had drawn closer that they realised he wasn't riding an ordinary bike. It was a tandem. 
Nor was he having a conversation with himself. He was loudly addressing his cycling companion behind him. And in September of 2013, or it might have been the October, come to think of it. Anyway, that was when I cycled from Ravenglass to South Shields alongside Hadrian's Wall. And that's 174 miles in total, so it's quite a trek. But the views were phenomenal. Then the following March, I did the Devon coast to coast from Ilfracombe to Plymouth. Whoops. Lily breathed as the tandem drew nearer still, and they were finally able to see who was on the back of it. Dan sprayed coffee and rocked forward on his seat. Poor Patsy, clearly mortified as her companion continued at top volume, saw them watching and pulled an oh-God face. And then they were passing the pub, their legs moving in unison as the pedals turned and the tyres made a dry swishing noise on the hot, dusty tarmac. Patsy's date was still facing forwards, talking loudly for her benefit as he informed her of the importance of keeping up a nice steady rhythm, which made Dan, predictably, crack up with silent laughter. As the tandem moved on, Patsy glanced over at them for a moment, shook her head in despair and mouthed the words, Help me. Oh dear, but it was hard not to laugh. At the junction at the end of the high street, the traffic lights turned red and the tandem dutifully slowed to a halt. They watched as Patsy put her feet down and turned back to give them a look of mortification and misery, whilst her date continued his loud monologue. How does she get herself into these situations? Dan marvelled. He gestured to his sister and mimed diving sideways off the bike. Up ahead, taking her weight on her feet and raising her bottom from the saddle, Patsy let go of the handlebars. The traffic lights changed to amber, then to green. Her companion pressed down on the front pedals and the tandem moved off, leaving Patsy standing in the road behind it. Evidently still entranced by the sound of his own voice and oblivious to the fact that he'd lost his pedalling partner, the man who'd been her date continued on down the road. Dan took a quick photo on his phone before the tandem completely disappeared from view. He grinned at Lily and said, Ha! Brilliant. That's this year's Christmas card sorted. Patsy stood in the centre of the road and watched as Derek energetically cycled off without her. She couldn't quite believe he hadn't noticed she'd gone. Why did this kind of situation always seem to happen to her? Derek had sounded so nice in his emails. He'd given her no cause whatsoever to suspect he was a secret cycling fanatic with a deep and detailed knowledge of every single cycleway in the UK and a passion for sharing all this information with her in a maximum volume, never-ending monotone. If she'd known, the entire relationship could have been nipped in the bud before it even had time to become a bud. Some women might not mind the idea of sailing through life on the back of a tandem, but Patsy definitely wasn't one of them. She sighed and brushed away the loose strands of hair that were sticking to her forehead. And now Dan and Lily were beckoning her towards them, no doubt finding her predicament hilarious. What she should have done, of course, was to tap Derek on the shoulder, politely explain that they might as well give up now, then shake hands, say goodbye and wish him better luck next time. That would have been the normal way, the dignified way to go about it. Oh, God, poor Derek. She really shouldn't have done that to him. Then again, poor her. Chapter Two OK, said Dan when Patsy reached them. First things first, does he know where you live? 
No. She shook her head. We arranged to meet at the cafe in the garden centre. He was already waiting for me when I got there, so I didn't know about the bike thing. Dan raised an eyebrow. You mean the turquoise lycra leggings didn't give it away? Patsy pulled a face at her brother, eight years younger, but annoyingly so much more in control of his own life than she was of hers. They were hidden under the table, if you must know. We chatted for ten minutes, and he said something about getting some exercise and exploring the area, but I thought we were going for a walk, and that was why he'd said I should wear trousers and flat shoes. Never happier than when she was in four-inch heels, Patsy indicated the pale pink leather ballet pumps on her feet, and to think she'd gone out and bought them specially for today's date. But he presumably stood up at some point, which means you saw what he was wearing. And then he took you outside and showed you his tandem. Not a euphemism, said Dan. Yet you still went ahead and climbed onto it. You see, this is the difference between us. You just can't understand, said Patsy. If you don't want to do something, you don't do it. But when it happens to me, you were too embarrassed to say no. Lily leapt to her defence. Exactly. You're a people pleaser. I am. Was that so bad? When you were a hairdresser, it kind of went with the territory. If you didn't please people, you wouldn't last long in the job. She didn't want to hurt his feelings, Lily told Dan, who was notoriously less concerned with how other people felt. In that case, better leave the next few minutes to me. With a nod in the direction of the end of the road, Dan said, He's on his way back now. Bugger, so he was. Patsy said, I don't want to see him. But if she tried to disappear inside the pub now, Derek would spot her running away from him. Come on, into the van. Evidently having worked out the angles, Lily pressed auto-unlock. He won't be able to see you from here. Ducking down, heart thumping, Patsy kept out of view and jumped into the back of the van, pulling the door almost shut behind her with seconds to spare. She heard the squeak of the bike's brakes and the swish of tyres as Derek pulled up less than six feet away. His face wasn't visible, thankfully, but through the crack in the door she was able to see Lily and Dan. Hello. Derek paused to clear his throat. Um, I was wondering if you'd seen my cycling partner. She was with me when we came past a few minutes ago. Dark hair, pink shirt, jeans. And you've managed to lose her somewhere? Dan looked amused. Well, yes, apparently so. Actually, we did see her, said Dan. She ran past us just now at quite a speed, heading in that direction. He pointed to the right. She was on her mobile, calling for a cab to come and pick her up. Oh, right. On the bright side, Dan continued, at least it means she didn't fall off the back of your tandem. You don't have to send out a search party or wonder if she's lying dead in a ditch. Hmm... Her erstwhile date didn't sound particularly relieved. Oh dear, is she your wife? Good God, no, thank goodness, Derek snorted. Charming, although under the circumstances he was allowed to be a bit cross. I like your leggings. Changing the subject, Dan asked innocently, Where did you get them? These? Ah, well, they're from a specialist sportswear company. I ordered them online and... No, Barbara, over here, Lily blurted out. Patsy heard the sudden patter of paws, accompanied by a yelp of excitement. Barbara, don't do that. Get down! Too late. Patsy made a futile grab at the van's back door, but there was no handle on the inside. A huge black paw effortlessly hooked the door open, and Barbara appeared, barking in joyful recognition and wagging her tail. Patsy wanted to die. 
Once, years ago, she'd been having a wee in the loo on the train when, without warning, the automatic door had slid open. This was worse. Derek stared into the van and she felt her skin prickle with shame. Since Barbara was now attempting to clamber up and join her, Patsy instead jumped down. I'm sorry, she said. And so you should be. He was still astride the front saddle of the tandem, his expression stony. I thought we were going for a nice 20-mile ride. Which was an oxymoron if ever she'd heard one. Nevertheless, she looked penitent. I know, I'm not really a bicycle-y sort of person. His jaw jutted. You should have told me. I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Out of interest, Dan joined in. Why didn't you warn her you were going to turn up on a tandem? Derek shot him an impatient look. Because then she would have made some excuse and ducked out. Everyone always does. It's something you have to experience first. Then you fall in love with it. I'm serious. Sweat dripped from his ruddy forehead as he nodded vigorously, pale eyes alight with fervour. There's nothing better in the world than cycling. Personally, Patsy thought a nice gin and tonic beat cycling hands down. She shrugged and said, Anyway, I'm sorry I ran away. It's no great loss. Derek was dismissive now. You're not my type anyway. To be honest, anyone who wears makeup isn't my cup of tea. It's not your fault, he amended. I should have stipulated that in my advert. Patsy nodded. It might have been an idea. And she should have stipulated that she wasn't interested in anyone who wore turquoise lycra leggings. Well, bye then. Goodbye. And just so you know, if anyone asks how our date went, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to give you a good review. That's fine. Patsy thought it was probably more than fine. It was a blessing. Aloud, she said, I deserve it. Together they watched as Derek, for the second time, cycled off down the street. And another one bites the dust, said Dan. Barbara, the huge black Labrador who belonged to one of the most regular of the pub's regulars, placed her paw on Patsy's knee as if sympathising with her tragic, still manless state. I did ask him not to ride through the village, but he ignored me. Patsy relived her horror when she'd realised he was going to go ahead and do it anyway. When you were on the back of a tandem, you didn't have much choice in the matter. I don't think I want to speak to you any more. Dan was shaking his head at her. You shameless strumpet, plastering your face in, ugh, all that disgusting makeup. Patsy picked up a cardboard beer mat and spun it at him like a weapon. Frustratingly, he employed his lightning reflexes to catch it, then flipped it into the air so that Barbara could leap up and grab it in her mouth. Come on, then. Lily finished her drink and stood up, gesturing to Dan and jangling her keys. Let's get you back to your car. Dan rose to his feet and gave Patsy a hug. Bye then. See you in a couple of weeks. And don't worry, there has to be someone decent out there. We'll find him for you eventually. She hugged him in turn. They might tease each other endlessly, but he was her little brother, albeit a foot taller than her, and she loved him to bits. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. And you look after yourself. Drawing back, she shook her head at him. I still can't believe they let you fly actual planes. Dan grinned. That's nothing. I can't believe I let you cut my hair. He stowed his travel case in the back of the van, ruffled Barbara's ears by way of an au revoir, and jumped into the passenger seat. Lily, starting the engine, leaned out of the driver's window and said, See you tomorrow. Tomorrow was Lily's birthday. She would be 25. 
Patsy smiled because they all knew it was set to be an especially significant day. She nodded and waved at them both. Oh yes, you definitely will. The van pulled away and disappeared up the road. Barbara, panting in the heat and now in search of shade in a bowl of cold water, wandered back inside the pub. And Patsy, finding herself with an unexpectedly free evening, set off in the direction of home. As she was letting herself into the cottage, her phone began to ring. Surprised by the name on the screen, she answered it and said, Rosa, hello. How are things with you? It's been ages. Rosa had worked for her here at the salon years ago. Now married and living in London with her taxi driver husband and three young children, she'd stayed in touch via Facebook, but they hadn't seen each other since the birth of Rosa's middle child. The good intentions were always there, but, as they had a habit of doing, life and work had simply got in the way. Everything's great, Rosa sounded buoyant. OK, now listen, I've got something to ask you, and this might sound a bit weird, but I promise you it's not bad weird. OK. Intrigued, Patsy picked up the crumb-strewn plate and empty Twix wrapper Dan had left on the coffee table. Honestly, for someone without an ounce of fat on him, he didn't half eat some rubbish. What's it about? A friend of a friend needs a favour. Nothing illegal, but it has to be someone who can definitely keep a secret. Rosa paused, as in the background another phone began to ring. Which is why I thought of you. Chapter 3 A bird was singing loudly in the honeysuckle outside Lily's bedroom window, Coral would probably know what kind of bird, but Lily didn't have a clue. It sounded very cheerful, though. She opened her eyes and saw from the dazzle of light slicing through the gap in the curtains that it was destined to be another hot, sunny day. It's my birthday. I'm 25 and so lucky. She slid out of bed, knowing that when she opened the door, the tray would be outside. It always was. Over the years, it had been a tradition from which they'd never wavered. And indeed it was there, on the wine-red landing carpet, the rectangular silver tray bearing a single rosebud in a squat silver vase, a glass of freshly squeezed orange juice, a sealed envelope and a small flat package wrapped in silver and yellow striped paper and tied with curly silver ribbons. From her mum... Lily bent down, picked up the tray and carefully carried it back into her room, laying it on the bedside table so nothing would topple over. Drifting up from downstairs, she could hear sounds of movement, the clink of china, the murmur of voices on the radio, doors being opened and closed. But this, now, was private, to be shared between her and her mother, just the two of them, for the very last time. Lily took a sip of orange juice and opened the envelope. Whereas all the other letters had been written on thick lilac writing paper, this one was on a plain white sheet of A4. But the handwriting was the same, instantly recognisable with its extravagant loops and swirls. She ran the tips of her fingers over the paper, the first person to touch it since her mum had written the words, then lifted it to her nose and inhaled to see if it retained any recognisable scent. No. It just smelled of paper. OK, here goes. She took a steadying breath and began to read. Hello, my dearest darling girl, and happy, happy birthday. You're 25, and I wish you 
all the love and happiness in the world. I'm going to trust you here and assume you haven't opened your letters early. It's a possibility by now, and it doesn't matter a bit if you have. But I still kind of hope you manage to control your impatience and wait so I can talk to my 25-year-old daughter, woman to woman. I wonder if you look like me. Is your hair still long and madly curly? It's so hard to imagine what you're like now, but I do know for sure that you are kind, thoughtful, loving and beautiful on the inside and out. I hope your life is as happy as it deserves to be. Have you found a wonderful partner yet? Are you married? Maybe you have a child. Wow, that's an incredible thought. I could be a grandma by now. Well, if I am, I bet you're a fantastic mother. And if you don't have children, you're still fantastic anyway. A tear was trickling down Lily's cheek. She paused and wiped it away. She could hear her mum's voice so clearly, it was almost as if she were here in the room, saying the words to her. She continued to read. I didn't know how long to continue writing to you on your birthday, sweetheart. A part of me wanted to carry on until you were a hundred. But it looks as if the decision has been made for me, as the last few days haven't been great. I'm writing this in the hospital, hence the less than glamorous paper, and it's becoming harder to concentrate. They're upping my morphine, so I'm going to be sleeping a lot more from now on, and I don't want to start scribbling gibberish, so this is another reason to make this the last letter. I have a little present for you, too. Is it there? Have you already opened it? If not, let me just explain that it mightn't have cost a lot, but it's my most precious and treasured possession, apart from you, obviously, my beautiful darling girl, which is why I want you to have it now. It was given to me on my 19th birthday by Declan Madison. He was my first love and, as it turned out, the only love of my life. How I wish our relationship could have lasted, although if it had, then I never would have got involved with your father and we wouldn't have had you. Something else, I wonder. Will you get to know your father at some stage? Are you in touch with each other? Did he turn out to be not so bad after all? So many questions. Anyway, I'm passing on to you what Declan gave to me, and I really hope you like it. Has Coral told you about him? She will have done, I'm sure. He really was a lovely boy. We had the best time together. It was just the timing that was wrong. And if it's strange to think of you being 25 now, it's equally strange to imagine Declan being 48. That's old. I hope you're still in touch with Coral and Nick, and Patsy too. I hope I chose the right people to look after you, my darling. I did the best I could. More than anything, I wish I could have stayed with you, but sadly that hasn't been possible. Thank you for being the light of my life, the very best thing that ever happened to me. I wish you nothing but love, health and happiness. Happy birthday, beautiful Lily. All, all, all my everlasting love, sweetheart. You and me, always. Mum. Kiss, kiss, kiss. There. Done. And the tears were now flowing down Lily's face in earnest. Every letter ended with those same words, you and me, always. She and her mum had said it to each other each night at bedtime. 
It had been their mantra, their secret promise to each other. Whatever might happen, and it had happened, nothing could break the bond that existed between them. She would re-read the letter over and over in the years ahead, but never again for the first time. This was why she'd always preferred to open the envelopes in private. When it was done, and she'd had the chance to compose herself once more, she would go downstairs and begin the rest of her birthday. Rubbing her eyes and her wet face on the hem of her T-shirt, Lily picked up the wrapped present and carefully untied the silver ribbon bow. Over the past 17 years, the sellotape had lost its stickiness and acquired a light brown tinge. When she nudged it, it loosened beneath her touch. She unfolded the striped wrapping paper, then the nest of tissue beneath it. The bangle was narrow and silver, randomly studded with tiny sparkling stones that were unlikely to be diamonds. But it was pretty, catching the light as she turned it this way and that. And she dimly remembered it too. Vague memories from early childhood were beginning to resurface, of exploring bedroom drawers and boxes containing various bits of jewellery, seeing and trying on the bangle, which at the time had been far too big for her. Back then, at the age of five or six, she'd far preferred to hang assorted strings of beads around her neck and shuffle around in her mum's high heels, pretending to be a grown-up. A few months after that, her mum had fallen ill and the difficult times had begun. Lily knew now how hard it must have been for everyone, attempting to shield her from the worst of it and pretend everything wasn't as bad as it actually was. Her mum had done her best to carry on doing as much as possible with her between the repeated stays in hospital. Coral and Nick had asked her what colour she'd like her new bedroom to be and had redecorated accordingly for when she spent time with them. And Patsy, her babysitter, had spoiled her endlessly, taking her out on day trips, creating treasure hunts and keeping her entertained when, let's face it, most 18-year-old girls would far rather be chasing after boys and having fun with friends their own age. When her mother had finally died, between them they had showered her with so much genuine love that she'd never once had to worry about what would happen to her. It had all been arranged. Everything had been taken care of. Coral and Nick had welcomed her into their household, allowing her to grieve, but always there for her, patiently helping her settle into her new life with them. Of course, she'd missed her mum dreadfully, but she'd been surrounded with warmth and affection, and as time passed, the grief subsided. She might no longer have a birth mother, but Coral had definitely been the next best thing. She slid the silver bangle onto her left wrist and gazed across at the framed photograph on her bedside table. The photo had been taken here, in the garden of Goldstone House, on her first birthday, when she'd still been a beaming, bold baby with only a few teeth to her name. There she was, sitting happily on her mum's lap, with Nick and Coral to one side and Patsy laughing as she made a futile grab for a blurry toddler who was actually Dan, racing past with a water pistol in each hand and a small dog in hot pursuit. Lily had no memory, of course, of the day itself, but it was one of her favourite photographs because everyone in it looked so completely happy and relaxed. She had been lucky. Tragedy might have touched her life, but she'd come through it, and Coral, in turn, had come through for her. Which was why, 24 years on from that first birthday, she was still so glad to be here. Chapter 4 
Lily found Coral on the terrace, aiming her watering can at the hanging baskets outside the French windows. Turning at the sound of Lily's footsteps behind her, she managed to send a spray of water over her own bare feet. Darling, happy birthday! Putting down the watering can, she came over and held out her arms. They hugged each other, then Coral pulled back so she could see Lily's face. How are you? All okay? Lily nodded. I'm fine. You know, bit emotional, but it was nice too. She indicated the envelope in her hand. You can read it. And this was the present. Holding up her other arm, she showed Coral the bangle on her wrist. I kind of remember it used to be in her dressing table drawer. I remember it too, and I'd always wondered what happened to it. Admiring the bangle, Coral nodded and said, All this time it's been wrapped up, waiting for you. It was a present from her boyfriend when she was 19, Declan. That's right, Coral smiled, taking the letter from her. He was Joe's first love. She always called him the one that got away. Lily nodded. They'd talked about him before, of course, although Coral had never met Declan herself. After leaving school, her mum had taken a gap year, travelling to Spain and meeting Declan when they were both working at a restaurant on Las Ramblas in Barcelona. They'd spent 11 months together, enjoying each other's company, the social life and high-octane buzzing energy of the capital city of Catalonia. Everything had been perfect until the time had come to return to the UK and take up their places at university, Declan at St Andrews, her mother in Exeter. This was when the perennial problem had arisen. Would they be able to keep a long-distance relationship going when they were separated by a distance of over 400 miles?